0: Howdy folks and welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm your host Michael and today we're going to be hearing some stories from Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. Now I'm sure you've all heard me before on the podcast but Chris is actually one of the inspirations for this podcast. I was actually listening to him and Jay Scott talking turkeys when I had this idea. Uh, So that being said I want to say if if you're not following him already, you really need to be. Uh, He's a wildlife biologist, and he has more knowledge in his head on whitetails, turkeys, elk, hell, probably all animals, than me and everyone I've ever hunted with combined. Um, So let's go ahead and kick this thing off. I want to thank Chris again for coming on, and I really hope you guys enjoy his stories as much as I did recording them. Now let's let Chris tell you a few of his stories. All right, Chris, welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. How are you doing, man?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me on, man.
0: Yeah, man. I, I think I told you a little bit here before, but I think this is the first podcast I've actually been nervous for because you were the inspiration for the <laughs> entire thing. I was listening to your podcast when I was like, this man can talk. <laughs> I need to hear some hunting stories. So, so I'm super excited.
1: Well, I, I don't know. Some some people say this man can talk and they and they they. They reference the fact that I just don't shut up sometimes. So, yeah, it it, it could be a a blessing and a curse, I think, uh, for both. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad glad you started it, man. I am.
0: Yep, dude, I'm I'm having a ton of fun. I'm meeting a lot of great individuals like yourself. And the best part is all the story – well, not all the stories, but plenty of the stories start from the same place, and they all end in such different spaces that it's really – it's a lot of fun to listen to And I hope that the listeners are enjoying it as well, because I'm having a hell of a good time. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, why don't we kick this off? I didn't even say your last name. Chris Rowe, why don't you introduce yourself um, to the people that maybe don't already know who you are?
1: Yeah. So uh, Chris Rowe, wildlife biologist, uh, started, I work in the private sector. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, from the, for the hunting related side of things, I was always involved with and passionate about uh, animal behavior. And especially with wildlife management and wildlife uh, conservation efforts and and that type of stuff. And so long story short, fast forward, I've I've always been involved or I've liked teaching. And so all things kind of merged into one. Uh, And in 2010, uh, we started the website Row Hunting Resources And where I just basically put all sorts of the stuff that I know about elk behavior, elk vocalizations, communication, and then how do we use that stuff uh, out in the field hunting, uh, built the elk module and it rolled into starting to roll into the elk hunting Institute. And then we added the Turkey module. And then we started dabbling in with a little bit of deer module, but that's really what it is, is um, uh, education. And that's kind of where it's been. I started off with the pre, you know, on the Primos pro staff back in, late nineties and was doing, you know, seminars across the night well, across Colorado, Wyoming, and New Mexico, and then occasionally in different places, you know, branching out from there. Uh, But once, uh, and people loved the fact that, you know, I was tying in a lot of animal behavior, like what are the critters doing? Why are they doing it? And how do we exploit that? And from when it comes down to elk, You know, at some point, there's only so many elk seminars you can go to and listen to how to, you know, how do you blow on a mouth diaphragm? How do you, you know, use an open read style call? How do you blow a bugle? Blah blah blah. Yeah, that kind of gets old after a while. (laughs) Um, So that's why I started adding in that behavior. You know, you know, the talking about the doorway principle, talking about you know the the differences between lost muse and assembly muse, and all sorts of other vocalizations elk do, and not playing to testosterone. And I mean, just, uh, just you name everything under the sun about elk behavior, vocalization and communication. And and people are like, this is what we need. We want more of it. And so, like I said, in 2010, when the internet finally started getting to be a lot more user friendly, we were able to put a lot of that stuff uh, up there on the website in a uh, kind of an online library type of deal and, and just make it available. And then, Social media kicked off and, you know, obviously we have all got to have a social media presence. So I just kept everything (laughs) row hunting resources and just went from there, man.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say, I think I've said this maybe one other time for one of our other guests, but there's a difference between hunters who are trying to teach and teachers who are trying to hunt or or teachers that are teaching hunting, I should say. And you're definitely a teacher that is teaching hunting and as a newer hunter. I've, absorbed a lot of what you put out there. So it's great stuff for the people listening. If you haven't connected or or seen the row hunting resources, YouTube, the website, all that stuff, please go out there and check it out. I've learned a lot. I have a lot more to learn, but it's a really great starting point, starting point to like, build that knowledge on. So thank you, Chris.
1: Yeah. Shorten that learning curve as much as possible. So you can get out there and literally go faster than any of us did. You know, I've been around, I mean, I'm 50 now. And so um, I hate to say it, but, you know, I'm getting to be one of the older members of the hunting public now. I mean, that's it, it, out <laughs> there. And I remember me first starting out, there were very few resources to figure stuff out. And it, you know, there, there was a the long arduous, you know, growth curve on, on the success you know, side of things. And so mm-hmm. anything that I can do to help, Folks like you and anyone else, just to shorten that up, you know, they say a, a, a smart man learns from his mistakes, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Well, I've made plenty of them, so hopefully you can, <laughs> hopefully you can learn from me and, and, and cut those things out of your uh, out of your seasons as much as possible. Uh, yeah.
0: I'm definitely one of those. Uh, the best 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 lessons are self taught, so <laughs> that's yep. where I do most yep. of my learning. But yep. then again, it's nice to supplement that with uh, other other people's mistakes as well. So, yep, cool, Chris. So you're based out of Kansas now, correct?
1: Yeah. So in 2013, we I was we were in Colorado for a while. Well, I, I was in Colorado for a while. Uh, But then in 2013, um, yeah, started the transition in Northwest Kansas. It got an opportunity to work with a number of landowners out here managing a bunch of the landscape and running some hunts and and doing some conservation stuff and management stuff. So it was it was a fun, fun uh, transition. And uh, yeah, so we've been here since. Well, I've been here full time now as a resident of Kansas. I think in 2014, I think. Hmm. So wow. time has flown by rapidly. I should say that.
0: I'm sure coming up on a decade. Yeah. I've, uh I've spent a lot of time in Kansas. My mother's from Larned. I don't know how familiar you are. Oh yeah. I know Larned. exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We, we own a, we own a farm out there and, and someday when I inherit it, it's probably going to be coming a hunting property and no longer a farm. So someday. how many acres? <laughs> oh, I don't know off the top of my head. I want to guess around 300. It's pretty, pretty decent sized. Nice. Nice. Now, yeah. So um, we'll, we'll skip on the geography of Kansas for a little bit. And why don't we kick into one of your stories, Chris, what, what set the stage, which tell one, us any, st- which
1: one don't, do you want, man? I do, that. I see. I told you I was going to pitch this back to you because yeah. you already have a history of it. You, there's some, some that you've liked. What do you, I mean, that's the thing is you, every, and this is, this is true. And that you were, we were kind of chewing the fat before you kicked this off. And in the fact that, you know, one of your other guests said, you know, he wanted to come back on because he, he thought of more and more stories. I mean, if you think about your hunting, and, and this is going to happen with you, if especially if you stay passionate with hunting. I started hunting when I was in my, you know, well, before I was a teenager, going out with my yeah. uncles on my family farm in upstate New York. And so, and my grandfather was a game warden in upstate New York. And so he got me into turkey hunting and fly fishing and all that. And I mean, I was a kid. And mm-hmm. we were out there farting around doing this stuff. So, I mean, you go, all, you're gonna, you're gonna have a library from which to pull from. The question yeah. is, is which ones resonate with you? You know, cause you had mentioned the other ones that you heard me talking about. I mean, we can, I don't know. What, what, what are you interested in? I've been all over the place. I've hunted quite a few different things. I mean, what, what interests you? Because for me, I think, and I don't know if it's because of the animal behavior fascination or, or passion, uh, or if it's from the teaching standpoint for me, I mean, I'm sitting in here now. I mean, we, I know that no one else can see this, but I'm, I'm sitting in my studio with all sorts of critters around me. And I mean, <laughs> I can look at pretty much, I mean, other than the turkeys, cause there's, I I've killed a piss pile of turkeys. And at this point, all the tails and back capes and displays, they're all, they've, Now, except for the Eastern, I, I know where the Eastern Turkey came from, but I mean, I could pick from when I was a kid all the way up to, I mean, hell, the last year I shot, I mean, every single, every single hunt, pretty much every single hunt or, or to all the hunts that I've run that I've, that with clients, every single hunt that I've been on, it's memorable. And for me there's a lesson in there of what i learned and what i you know whether you know sometimes it's what not to do or sometimes it's just maybe it wasn't even learning anything about the critter maybe it was learning more about the people that i was with and and the hunters that i was with and what i needed to do with them and how and what and what i mean goodness gracious i mean there's there's yeah all sorts so yeah. what, what what floats your boat man I that mean, makes what, sense. what interests you
0: you know, if you're going to throw it at me, you know, uh, of course, I don't know what I don't know, so I don't know where your best stories lie. I've heard plenty, but Good. what we're going to start with is I have yet to hear a story of a guide's perspective. Oh. So why don't we? Why don't why don't you do that? Why don't you tell me your favorite guided hunts? Maybe you're not putting the animal down, but what is the most memorable hunt you've done as a guide?
1: Okay, so there you go. The most memorable hunt one of the most memorable hunts wasn't even a hunt that um, it wasn't even about the success mm-hmm. it was about you know as it from a guide when we're taking folks out in the field it's one thing if you go hunting with your friends or your family and oftentimes you know them all right and you kind of know some of the backstory of them and you know what's going on in their lives. And even things that you think are just kind of irrelevant or these little tangential little little tidbits of of their life story that might play in later. But when you're a guide or an outfitter, you're taking a client and you may even have known them for a year or two or three or whatever. Um, Man, there's sometimes the things you don't know... hit you full on square in the face. Uh, and, and what I, what I mean by that is, so the, when you say one of the most memorable is one of the, I mean, this was just not this Pat, this season, uh, in a 2021 Turkey season. And I shared this a little bit on my podcast. So I book a Turkey hunt with a guy that I've known for a long time. Uh, not, yeah. not like super personally. I have known him through social media I've been to trade shows and he's been there. I've been to sportsman shows and he's been there. He's attended my seminars and that type of stuff in the past. You know, he followed me. So we know of each other, but I don't know him, you know, intimately, if you will. I mean, like, like very, very well. So he came out and hunted with me the first time in 2020. And that was after with turkeys and that was after he had been talking about it, wanting to come out and hunt with me for a while. But he was, he was booking a hunt and going with another outfitter. He had developed a friendship with them. And I was like, no, nah, no big deal. Well, long story short, all of a sudden he picked up the phone in 2020. I was like, dude, that guy's got no birds. And, and I was kind of disappointed and blah, 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 blah. I still have a turkey tag and it was the end of our turkey season. I still, I had an opening and I'm like, dude, i've still got birds they're gobbling they're they're still predictable i said if you want to come out and give it a try give it a try so he comes out i still have the ground blind up and he's like where should i go i'm like well go to that ground blind i said (laughs) at this time i said sit down and i said don't say a thing don't put a decoy out because he he was literally had one day to hunt yeah i said don't even put a decoy out don't even say a thing i said the ground blinds there because they fly up right over there I said, they walk across this portion of the field and there's a natural little funnel and they're going to walk right in front of you. I said, they're good. I said, they are there every night and these two birds and what they're doing is they're cruising, looking for hens. And most of the other hens have been sitting on nests. And I mean, they were, it was about the time for, they were going to start to rotate into their summer mode and get grouped back up with the rest of the gobblers in the area. So I told him, I said, go sit there. And he had his daughter with him. Yeah. Uh, younger daughter. And I said, just go sit there and the birds should be there. And I swear to you, I, I drove them to the property. So he knew where, cause I, most of our hunters will drive their own vehicles just so it, it provides them a resource if they want to carry extra gear, or if they want to carry extra food or whatever, it's, it's there at the vehicle. And if they get cold or if they get hot or if they get bored or whatever, they, they, they can, they have freedom of movement, come back to the camp or, or the house or whatever. And do whatever they want. So I drove out there. He followed me. I told him where to park. I pointed across the field, up over the hill. I said, go right straight there, up over the up over the hill. You will see the ground blind. Climb in, keep me in the loop. And I literally turned around and drove away. Now we've got good cell phone reception out here. I literally turn around, drive away. I go to another property simply to start pulling other ground blinds. I don't think I was gone 30 minutes. I get a text. <laughs> I'm like, tagged out. And he was just, he was ecstatic. I'm like, well, there we go. All right. That's how and he just, he was over the moon. He's just like, oh my gosh, I was like, you do exactly where they that's what they did. They, you know, I've got set up and I heard him gobble and we scrambled. We sat down and got ready. And sure enough, here they come across. They were gobbling like crazy across this, blah, blah, blah. And I think it was like 40 yards. Boom, and boom, boom, two birds down. And he was, he was happy. He was on his way home. So the next year, of course, he's like, heck yeah, I'm coming back and I'm going to hunt with Chris. Well, (laughs) that was, that was last year. So I book him and he wants, he wants one of the prime slots. We're going to, this is, this is going to be a, uh, we're going to set up, we're going to call, we're going to decoy the whole night, an actual full on your traditional style turkey on. And a little, little, well, I guess it, hold on. I'll just keep going because there's, there's, there's lessons in here. So we start hunting now last year, just like this year, um, it was tough. Now this year, you know, I had to cancel all of our turkey hunts because we, our population has crashed into, into oblivion mm-hmm. last year, the population was on a decline. And so I reduced the number of turkey hunts, but these guys, there's a couple folks that I said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll come out and we'll do. And he was one of them. And so we get set up and it was tough hunting. There's no two ways about it. So he was, I think, third or fourth group, third group I took. And the previous groups, man, we were struggling. I mean, right off the get-go, knowing where the birds were, knowing, I mean, just, they were in a behavior cycle. They're, they were locked down with hens, and they wanted to stay out in the wide open fields, and they just did not. I mean, the predation pre- pressure on these things have been, has been crazy. So yeah. they were smart. You know, they, they weren't going to be next to field edges. They weren't going to be, you know, walking through thick cover you know, willy nilly, they were going to stay out in the fields as much as possible. So we got set up in a spot where I thought, okay, these birds are going to be out in the field, but come midday when it starts getting hot, this is where the birds like to come back into the shade and loaf. It was a food plot that I had developed in this, you know, right in the river quarter tucked into this little corner of the the drainage uh nice little sheltered pocket in there from you know certain wind directions. So it's it's a perfect spot for the birds to just come back and loaf for the day. So I told him, I said, I tell you what, let's get in there. We don't even have to get in there early. It's irrelevant to get in there early. Because by 10 o'clock, that's yeah. when they're gonna probably start rolling in. So I said, How about we just get in there? We'll sit down. And we'll just lightly call just to make sure that they know where we are, just to get a response, make sure we know where they are. And then I said, let's just sit there and just be quiet and just let them slowly, carefully work their way to us. I said, they'll come. Sure enough, we set up. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times you will see in here, whether it's YouTube or whether you you know read the articles or listen to other folks, oftentimes guides or outfitters will put their hunter out front and they will go back 30, 40, 60, 80, hundred yards, depending mm-hmm. on the species, depending on the terrain, whatever. And, and they will call back from behind there, pulling that animal past the hunter. So the hunter gets a shot, man. I'll tell you that is a legit tactic and it is a tactic and a setup that I will often employ. I don't know why we did not do it. It's (laughs) fine. Yeah. Um, And so one of the best, it it was kind of tricky in this little pocket and the way the vegetation is and the way the trees are to to get a good open shot. And one of the best places to get a a good open shot and have maximum uh, flexibility on, on, you know, range of motion range of, you know, swinging that shotgun, you know, left and right. And and being able to cover ground. It was against uh, an old uh, tree that had blown over. And then I had basically chainsaw cut up, you know, cleared out of the food plot. And I just chucked all the chunks of logs up against the stump. So it was like this pile of this, this, this stump root wad sticking up and then all sorts of just, you know, logs just laying all over it. So it was just big, this big log jam. And I told him, I said, well, why don't we just both get set up in that log jam and we'll just sit there and make like a, a portion of that log jam. And I said, it doesn't matter how these birds come in. We'll have a shot. Yeah. And so I'm sitting, leaned up against the log jam and he's sitting right in front of me and he's leaning against my right leg and, and my right shoulder and the log jam. So he's kind of leaning. I, I'm kind of his backrest as well as the log, you know, the, the root ball. And I've I've got a, a backrest. So for the two of us, it was it was pretty darn comfortable. Um, cause we cleared out the dirt underneath it and scooped out our butts. I mean, it was a, it was a comfortable little sit. Yeah. One of those ones where your butt's not going to get, I didn't think my, my butt wasn't going to get tired. It was just <laughs> nice to, to settle in there. And I, and we were going to settle in there and just be in there for the long haul. And so he's now, I want you to visualize this, visualize this. So we're sitting on our butts and he's sitting on his butt and his feet are, are extended out in front of him. And he's leaned back against me. So it's kind of like a somewhat, not like a recliner where he's laid all the way back, but he's kind of like yeah. slightly le- leaned back. A little weight on you. There's a little bit of weight on me. Not bad. But yeah. I mean, like I said, we're both comfortable. Well, we've been sitting there. You know, shirt, so we sit down. I call a little bit, shirt off, boom, gobbles out, you know, a couple hundred yards out in front of us exactly where they're supposed to be. Uh, start working them. Boom. They're gobbling. I can hear them coming, but they're just taking their time. I'm like, excellent. This is exactly what we want. This is exactly how it needs to be. I don't need to call anymore because they know we're over here and they already want to be over here at some point because it's, I said, we're just going to sit quiet. They know we're here. I don't need to make it, uh, you know, try to force this situation. Just let them come naturally. I said, just you watch. I told him, I said, you watch that way in front of you. So he's kind of sitting, you know, if you're looking at a, let's just say like you're looking at the face of a clock. If, if he's, if, if he's facing say 12 o'clock, I'm facing like maybe nine, 10 o'clock, you know what I mean? So
0: we're, we're, we're
1: we're faced a little ways away, you know, away from each other. So I can move my head left and right a tiny little bit and I can cover off to the left side of him and he can move his left, his head left or right a little bit and he can cover everything off to the right side of us. And then we got overlap in the middle. So we just settle in and let these things come. And I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know how long had gone by, but I, you know, I'm what, 10, 15 minutes, you know, 20 minutes, maybe, maybe it was 30 minutes. I don't know. But you know, you're, you're sitting there patient, just like turkey hunting. Yeah. You do, you 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 patient. You just let the birds work. And all of a sudden I, I see him just kind of, he just kind of, his head kind of just kind of goes forward a little bit and I can hear just the, uh. <laughs> and, I, and Okay, so you laugh, I laugh, we all laugh. I'm like, oh, good, he's great. So he's asleep, right? And this is where the human brain is so remarkable at how fast and how how fast it processes and how perceptive it is. Because I saw his head just kind of roll over and he just, and my initial thought was, (laughs) he's sleeping. And before I could even nudge him, he goes to inhale. And something's wrong. Oh man. He ain't asleep. And so all of a sudden I hear him. He's, he's, he can't breathe.
0: Oh wow. And so
1: I'm, I'm like, what the, and so at this point it's like, Oh, shit. So I nudge him. I'm like, I'm thinking he just fell asleep and maybe he had something in his mouth. Maybe he had a, 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 a whatever, candy or something in his mouth. And and maybe, so I, I nudge him to wake him up. Now, again, this is happening like, so if you think about how you breathe, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale. I mean, that fast. I mean, those sounds that he's making are not normal. And so as I'm trying to nudge him to wake him up, he just stops breathing.
0: Oh God.
1: <laughs> and so I don't hear anything anymore. Now he stop. I stop hearing sound, but at the time, at that moment you're like, okay, well, did he just stop snoring? Did he, you know, so you've, my brain's trying to figure out what's happening here. Meanwhile, I'm getting out from under, you know, away from him. Patting him on the back, trying to, you know, trying to shake him a little bit, wake him up. And that's when I realized he's unconscious. And I mean, he just goes full on. He's out. He's unconscious, oh not breathing. Yeah. So at this point, it's like, oh, this is real. Like, this is ha- like any guide and outfitter, well, not any, most, everyone should. Most states, especially if you're regulated, require it. But I think everybody, most outfitters, guides are required or should take CPR, okay? And you take your basic CPR and your first aid and your trauma stuff, all sorts of other stuff. The thing is, is you know all that stuff, right? How often do you expect to actually have to use it? Right. And then the thing that they never talk to you about, you know, really, and, and I don't know if there's any way to do this, is The adrenaline rush, the the your brain, that the you're like, no, this can't be happening. And then the realization, oh shit, this is happening. (laughs) And then, oh shit, I need to do oh crap. This is this is happening right now. This is like no joke. This is not a drill. This isn't CPR class where they're fine, they're just playing the victim, and I go to No, this guy. Is not breathing. I do not know why, and we are t- we are in the middle of freaking nowhere. And he's two hundred and fifty pound guy. Mm. I'm not, and we are <laughs> in the bottom of this this ravine, and we're in the middle of nowhere. So I couldn't even describe to an ambulance on where how to get us out of this situation. Now, can I get my Ranger down in there? Absolutely. Can I get my ATV down in there? Absolutely. If I needed to drive, no, I could not get my pickup in there, actually. Well, yes, I could. I would drive through my neighbor's property. But even if I had to try to figure out how to direct an ambulance, I've got to climb up out of the hill in order to, to even get cell reception. And so it's like, oh, shit. And so I grabbed him and I just heave him out of the root mass and I get him laid down, and as soon as I get him laying down, of course I'm, I'm I get him laid down, get his head positioned, I grab his the the his leg knees, get his knees up, and as soon as I did that, he wakes up. Oh, what? <laughs> and he just looks at me. He's like, you, you, and I've different stuff in my past. So I was in the military for yeah. a while, and and we had to play all sorts. I, I was the guinea pig for. Um, You can't see it, but I've got really, really obvious veins in my arms. So when we were doing that, you know, medic yes. training, yeah, I became the guinea pig for IVs, and so I was the guy that everybody stuck for IVs. And I've had so many people jam needles into the into my elbow joints. There was times where I passed out. I just I'd be yeah. I'd, faint. I'd be like, "Woo, I'm gonna I'm out." So I've woken up before after having fainted or passed out, and you know. I know where I am. I know what's going on, but I, I, I'm like, okay, what just happened? Because I remember this just a minute ago and now I'm looking at a completely different scenario, different perspective. Why, what, what, what the hell happened? I know something happened, but so same thing. I can see the look on his face. He's like, Hey, what, what's going on? You tell me, me?" I'm like, I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, why? I'm like, dude, sir, you, you passed out. He's like, oh, did I? I'm like, no, no, okay. No. I'm not saying you, 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 you passed out, but I said, dude, you stopped breathing. Really? I'm like, yeah, really. I said, you're here in this position because I was about to do CPR, brother. Yeah. He's like, really? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's really? I'm like, I'm not. Dude, I'm not ju- you know. He could see the look on my face. You know, I probably was just you know white and just yeah. He's like, oh, he's like, yeah. Well, my my legs started to go numb. I'm like, what do you mean your legs started to go numb? He's like, I don't know. I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, my legs started to go numb, and then they started really hurting, and that's all I remember. I'm like, oh shit! Like now I'm now I'm one. I'm like is this guy having a heart attack? Like, I mean, I don't know what happened before. I don't know why he stopped. So at this point now I'm like, okay, this guy might be having a heart attack. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, Serge, can you get, are, do you feel okay? Yeah. Can you sit up? Yeah, I can sit up. All right, let's sit up. Okay. How are you feeling? Good. Breathing fine. Everything's fine. Checked his pulse. Everything was fine. He he was alert. He was fine. I said, okay, Serge, I said, "We're, we're headed back to the house. He's like, well. I feel all right. I mean, he's like, "Where are the, are the birds?" Still, I'm like, "I don't, <laughs> give two, I don't, course. I don't give two rips about birds right now." I said, yeah. "We need to get back to the house." I said because I want to. Uh, legitimate, you stopped breathing, you 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 slumped over, you stopped breathing, and I yanked you out because I I was gonna have to do CPR. He's like, "Oh, he's like, well, maybe I'm just hungry. Maybe it's just my blood sugar, or something like." That. And so for me at the time, I'm like, deescalate the situation. Let's just get him on board. So I'm like, oh, you know what, man? I bet you that's exactly it. How about we just go back to the house? Let's just get something to eat. Let's get something to drink. Maybe, you know, maybe take a nap. Just, just because, you know, whatever, man. It was, yeah, absolutely. Let's just do that. Let's yeah. just, let's just take whatever you want. Meanwhile, let's just meanwhile I do, yeah, cool. whatever you need to hear to get you back to the truck, that's where we're going. Let's just, that's yeah. what I'm saying. And meanwhile, I'm doing like 60 down the road just because my turkey hunts, I, a lot of them I will drive. So I'm just. You're just fly back to the house, I'm like, and I just pull up. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, how about just go over? You know, just you know, get something to eat. He's like, well, I got, and this is the other thing too. It, he goes, well, maybe my blood sugar's low. He goes, I brought a cho- a chocolate cake. So I'll, I'll have I'll have a big chunk of chocolate cake, and I just I was like, you know, how about this? I said, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. I said, cause I, all I can imagine is just this like glucose overload. Just now you're gonna have yeah. a heart attack, dumbass. I, I said, tell you what, let's just hold, just eat like get a sandwich, like have, maybe have a candy bar or whatever, but just get a sa- get some decent food in you. Get hydrated. Um, I'm just gonna jump over. I, I'm gonna drop some stuff off of the house and and then I'll come over here and 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 I'll I'll just I'll just visit with we'll just see what's going on. Meanwhile. So he goes into, into our guest house. I bail. I call my, my neighbor is it, uh, a flight nurse. So I'm, I'm calling her. I'm like, <laughs> this is what's going on. This is what just happened. What the hell? And she's like, man, uh, yeah, definitely monitor. But if he's all right now, it's hard to say blah, blah, blah. So he's fine. Like as in everything's good to go. And I recommend, I'm like, well, you might want to go get checked out. He's like, nah, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, I, I you, you might want to, no, nah, I'm fine. I'm like, all right. So we do, we go back to the hunt and, cause he, he wants to just go back to the hunt. He's fine. And he is, he's acting fine. He's, he's alert, clear. He could, he could, he, he's, he's fine. He's, everything's fine. Yeah. He's enjoying his cake. <laughs> yeah. I don't, so we go back out. Long story short, we, we hunt the next two days without incident. He fills both tags. He gets, he tags out, has a great hunt. And I told him, I said, sir, okay, I said, you need to go when, you need to get checked out, Matt. I said, "That you said your legs started going numb and then they started, he had you know major pain in his legs. And then you went unconscious. And I said, it wasn't that you went unconscious, you, you went unconscious and then stopped breathing. Yeah. So he leaves, gets home. A couple days pass him and his wife called me back. And she's just beside herself. Like you, I can't think you enough. Know, you saved my husband's life. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that, but you know, she's like, but no, no. So what it ended up being is he has severe sleep apnea. Oh, wow. And if he sits in a certain way, And gets too relaxed, and he's a bigger guy. If he gets too relaxed and starts dozing off, the way his head and jaw relax it on itself, it'll close that airway, and he won't even know it. And so he later it turns it comes out to where he's been on an airplane before and gone through sleep apnea. And then all of a sudden stop breathing momentary, like sleep apnea, you can do, but because in an airplane you're sitting more upright, you know, he'd, you know, he'd, you yeah, know, wait you know, yeah. or whatever. And he'd wake up and everything was fine. No big deal. And at night when he's, he's sleeping in his bed, I, I don't know whether it's his wife's there. I, I don't know. I don't know. But it turns out he had, he's got severe sleep apnea and I'm guessing he was sitting on that against that stump, and you know how your butt—if you're sitting wrong, your butt will go to yeah. sleep, and your legs will go to sleep. And and maybe the legs started going to sleep like like that. I, to this day, we don't know all of the mechanisms that caused him to, like I said, he passed out, but because he was leaned back, there was nothing for him to forward, lean. Forward. Yeah. He couldn't fall forward yeah. and wake himself up, and so it just it went bad like immediately. And this is the thing that just absolutely shocked the piss out of me. And that I sat there and I'm like, okay, there's divine intervention. Because like I said, normally it would not be uncommon for me to set him in that log jam and then me go 40 yards behind him or 60 yards behind him. Now, because it was later in the season, later in April, we had vegetation. So if I'd gone 40, 60 yards behind him, There's weeds and grasses and all And he would have been on the other side of that. I would have had no clue that he was having trouble. All I would have seen is his head over and I would have thought he's sleeping. And I would have probably just laughed about it because I've had hunters fall asleep, whether it's kids, whether it's adults. I've had hunters fall asleep in the ground blinds and we'd make fun of each other, bobbing our heads and dozing off and, and just fighting to stay awake. Cause you're getting up at three 30 in the morning and then you're going to bed at like 10 30 at night and then just rinse and repeat. And it just sucks after a couple of days. So Hunter's falling asleep is not unusual. Yeah, And I would not based on what he did physically against that log, I would not have perceived him having trouble. And so I probably, w- I, I'm telling you what I would have done and it's not that I, I'm happy about it, but I, I know what I would have done. I would have sat there and continued calling because I would have thought hey, he's asleep. He'll, he'll jerk awake here yeah. in a minute, especially when that bird is, you know, those birds are about a hundred, you know, 80, hundred yards out. And all of a sudden, Rawr, and they gobble and all of a sudden, you're, you're, Oh, I'm awake now. Yeah. Let's go. He'd have been dead.
0: Yeah. No, stone for dead. sure. That's stone terrifying
1: dead. stone dead. And so now I'm like, it's, it's not like, I've been in situations where people have gotten injured or you have a bad wreck. And and like, for instance, you know, here's, here's stories. We'll we'll just keep going. So on one of our, um, in the back country, we had, this is back in the day when we had our four horses and we went backpack or we went horse packing in. Um, we set our camp at a prominent trail intersection where part of it went way up the mountain. The other part went, uh, up the valley and, we watched these guys come in. You could tell they were novice. They were riding horses and they had some gear with them, but you know, one guy was a little unsure and, but they were going to go up and we're like, all right, well, good luck. If you run into problems or whatever, just let us know about this, where we're going to be. blah blah blah. Okay. No problem. So it takes about an hour to get up on top, get up on top of the Ridge. So I think it was right. Almost at uh, about an hour and a half after they left, all of a sudden here comes one of the guys. On horseback, just hauling ass down the mountain with the other horse. Oh. Not the other geez. guy. And so we're like, what's he? And he they, you know, they come right to camp. They're like, my butt, we buddy had an accident, uh, fell off the horse, uh, and, and I think he broke his ankle and uh he's bleeding, and uh, I'm going out to get help. I'm like, wait a minute. I know this ridge and this ridge just gets pummeled with afternoon thunderstorms, especially early September. And sure enough, I mean, we're, we're set to get some nasty thunderstorms. I'm like, okay, so he fell off the horse. Yes. He broke his ankle. Yes. He's bleeding. Yes. Where, how, how bad? I don't know how bad, but he's, but he's bleeding from, you know, from his leg. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. I gotta go, I gotta go get help. And he's, I'm like, all right, where is he? We'll go up there and we'll try to, you know, at least render first aid up there, you know? So he's like, go to the top, go to this spot. You go again, go, go to this tree angle, kind of this way through the, you know, through the brush and trees. And then he's up there. And, you know, he's, he's tucked into the brush and, and he's got a, you know, he's got his poncho over him, you know, they he... so we saddle up two of our well, our, well, our horses and we just smoke up the mountain and we're familiar with the area. So we get up there and we get up to where he's describing. We're not seeing anybody. Oh God. And so we start yelling. We start yelling. We start, finally, we, and it's windy. Thunderstorms are coming in. You get, the clouds are coming in. It's windy. So finally we hear him yell. We finally see a hand out of the, you know, out of the little Krumholtz, out of the little stubby trees and brush and everything. We ride over to him. Yeah, no joke. He's got a compound fracture to the, to the lower leg. So he's got a bone sticking out of his leg. Okay, Ugh. They had no pressure dressing on it. They had not. He basically had a shirt, just kind of, just kind of over top of it, just to kind of keep it kind of clean. Not doing anything to stop the bleeding. Not doing it, and meanwhile, he's laying in the tree, in the kind of the brush. The tree's there, under a camouflaged poncho. Like it's impossible to find. you We know the spot we were on horses right there. And if it hadn't been that we were yelling and we could hear him yell back and wave his hand, we would never would have found it. So we immediately get off, pull our first aid stuff out. I start putting a a dressing on the wound and just start, you know, stabilizing that leg and the ankle and, and stopping the bleeding because it was about to rain, you know, horseback, you can carry a lot more stuff. Well, one of the things we always had on our horses was our rain gear, which is a big, full uh, trench coat style rain jacket that's got the hood, big collar, and it goes all the way down your legs and covers you while you're on the horse. They're bright yellow, you know, and they're yeah. bright yellow for a purpose. So, I mean, you can see each other. So sure enough, we get up on top, we get that stabilized. We, we get, you know, everything good to go. And we, there's nothing for, there's nothing more for us to do at that moment, but we're just going to say, okay, he went down to get help. I know that search and rescue is coming. Somebody's coming up. Um, we're going to stay with them. So that way we can either go, we can see where they are, ride out, meet him, and bring them back. Or we can, at least they'll see our horses in yellow jackets. Sure enough you can hear the helicopter and I'm like, all right, they're on their way. You know, we're just, t-. the guy, I mean, the guy was fine. It, luckily yeah. it wasn't, it didn't cut an artery or main vein or anything like that. It was just, it was just tissue. You I mean, it broke yeah. the bone, poked the bone out the, the ankle poked out of the, it was just tissue. So it wasn't bad bleeding. It was actually easy to, to control. Um, so the, the guy was in good spirits, you know, he was embarrassed of course and help we all of us would be in that kind of situation. But we just talked and kept the conversation light. But here comes the helicopter. There goes, what the, where's the helicopter? Where the hell are they going? (laughs) And they're going up a different valley. They go up a different valley and go right up the ridge. They went to where the other guy told them to go. He just had the valley and ridge system wrong. They're two miles away. Oh, God. We don't have comms with that that helicopter, and the and the kid. I don't know where the kid where the, his buddy is, and it's it's not like oh just ride over there. And meet. No, that's like drop off the mountain, down the mountain, across the valley, ride up the other. No, they. The only thing we've got is stand there, wave our our wave our arms. Luckily, you know, I mean that's the thing that makes the. I mean the search and rescue you guys, especially the helicopter folks. I mean they know what they're doing. They've been there, done that. So they got up to where that guy had said, and they didn't find anything. So next, next. Okay. Start your, start going out for it. Okay. This is what he said. What could he have What could have he meant? Well, the next logical one was this Ridge. If we look, Oh, there's two guys over there. There's two people over there on horseback with bright yellow ponchos waving their hands. I mean, I will say this was pretty darn impressive. I I wasn't on the receiving end of it, but just to hear when they saw us, they pitched that freaking helicopter and cut those rotors. It went from to I mean you just hear them freaking just oh, punch the air and just here they come. Just smoking over top of us, swing around well, we went over and, and pointed out a good landing area for him. They came in, sat down, blah blah blah. All things done, got him loaded up, and you know, yeah, it. I, things yeah. happen, man. Things happen they out in the field, and and it's funny because, from a guide and outfitter standpoint, we we most of us are trained for it. We're trained in how to do it. The thing is, is what you the, I don't know if you can prepare for other than getting yourself in the situation is, or maybe doing ride-alongs with EMTs or something like that. Is is the oh shit factor? This is yeah. real. This is not a drill. And yeah. now, now be- I've, got to, I've got to do this for real. And this person, this person, whether his life depends on it or whether his just or, or if he the other guy, if that had busted, you know, cut through a vein or an artery he would have been bled out or, or oh, you got there bled out to where it's yeah. tourniquet to time and it's like, Oh shit. Fa- Luckily he was, he was okay. But I mean, that's the thing is I remember all of the stupid, the stupid things that we do. How many times do we go hunting and we don't even, I I'm guilty of it today on my habitat stuff. I'll tell Cal, I'm like, all right, I got to go out and I got to uh, spray or I got to mow or I got to do, I got to drill seed or what on the food plots or whatever. I, I've got 7,000 acres that I manage. Okay. Across, spread across two counties, across 25 miles north to south, probably east to west. Okay. Where? Oh, well, I'm going to this property. Okay. yeah, well, that property's a mile long in the river bottom. Where? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to this food plot where it's right here. Okay. Well, oh, by the way, I don't have cell signal there. Oh. So if something happens, yeah. what the hell am I going to do? So, you know, all these things where you're like, it's it, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to go jump on my four-wheeler and I'm going to go over there. I'm going to drag the mower around. I'm going to knock down the, the the weeds on the on that food plot and then I'll be back. What, what if something happens in... I roll the mower over my leg for some stupid reason, yeah. or I'm doing something with the four wheeler. Okay, let's roll into another story. Again, along the same. <laughs> train, I lost uh, one of my old friends. Uh, he was a few years older than I am. He, I, I was, he was a master's student at Syracuse University uh, doing deer, whitetail deer research, and I was just graduating getting ready to go to college and I was going into wildlife biology. And so I went myself and my uncle, who's more like my best friend. Uh, we went and, and volunteered to help him, um uh, trap and collar and ear tag and bios, you know, biopsy or not biopsy, but just take some, uh, tissue samples from whitetails and got to be really close. And, and yeah, I mean, just got to be good friends. And over the years, and I mean, help um, Fast forward years, he came out and hunted with me uh, on a pronghorn co- uh, hunting cooperative that I was managing in Eastern Colorado for a while. I mean, it was just, he was a few years older than me, same profession, same, yeah. uh, very similar. Well, all of a sudden his family dynamic changed his parents. And so he had he decided to move back to Iowa for his family farm. So they, they farmed and they ran cattle. And yeah, got a phone call from Tom, my uncle. He's like, Steve's gone. Ugh. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, he passed away. I'm like the hell you talk? What do you mean? Got jumped on, left the morning, left the house. His wife, his kids, jumped on the four wheeler because he needed to go fix some fence in the cattle pasture just real quick. No, it was no, it was not in the morning. It was in the afternoon because he was gonna he was just gonna run out in the afternoon and do it and be back for dinner. Yeah. Didn't make it back for dinner. So his wife's like, what's going on? Then it starts getting dark. And then then she's like, something's not right. Yeah. They finally had to go out and look for him and found him. He was trying to navigate around something and rolled the four-wheeler down a ravine, rolled over top of him. And that was it. Now, the sad part is, is I don't know. And I don't even know. I don't even want to know. I don't want to know because I don't know if it killed him out. I don't, and I don't know if it even came yeah. out. I don't know if it killed him outright, but it was a hundred and some odd degrees out there that did it, did it kill him outright? Or did he just break his back and he couldn't move and do anything. And he just laid there and died of heat got exhaustion. I don't know. Yeah. But just like that, our lives can go from everything's just fine to, Oh shit. Yeah. You know, and we don't think about those type of things, you know? And so, when you to round it back you go back to what's my most memorable honey my honey <laughs> yeah <laughs> sergio slumping over and and the and again i i truly believe in divine intervention i truly believe everything happens for a reason and i cannot believe that we were sitting the way we were sitting in that set yeah Because if we had been sitting in any other traditional way that I normally do, he'd be dead. Yeah. I don't know why we sat like we did. Other than the little voice inside my head was like, this will be, yeah, do this. Okay. All right, there we go. And that's the other thing too, is the little voice inside your head is never wrong. If you, you know, that little still small voice in your, you know, that whispers it, you want to go do something in your little, that little voice all of a sudden is like, nah, don't do that. Or- Hey, you know, you're grabbing stuff and, and you look at some random thing off to the, and your, the little boy said, grab that. And you're like, no, nah, I don't need that. And then like two hours later, you're like, son of a, I should have grabbed that. Yep. I mean, yep. There's, there's been plenty of times I, I, on my mountain goat hunt, again, you want to talk about <laughs> stupid stuff that we could have been, that, that could have ended badly. So I drew a mountain goat tag in Colorado, scouted, uh, found two just incredibly, just, just massive billies. They were awesome. Long story short, fast forward. My buddy kills his, the shot, uh, the shots that rang out in the Valley sent my goats just to the other. I mean, they, they literally legitimately left the unit. They went up over the ridge and out of the unit and just devastated. me. So I'm trying to, so they, him and his brother are taking care of their goats or his goat. I tell them, I'm like, I'm going after these other Billies. I'm going to try to figure out where they go. Now, this is on Mount Massive. Okay. That's a 14,000 foot mountain. They 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 crested it like 13.8. That's a, I'm not running up that mountain. And I'm already, I'm already cashed out from all the other climbing we've done. So, anyway, I decided, like, okay, they went up over here. They're going to go around this side. I said, I wonder if they're going to come back around. Because they always were back in this little basin. this Just just steep, nasty little vertical basin. I said, you know what I'm going to do? Like a dumbass. (laughs) I'm going to cut across the other way. And I'll catch them as they come back. So I'll just go across this boulder field scree slope. Oh, God. It's at like 13,600 feet. And it's literally just steep... Just this big, massive boulder field. Okay, no problem. Sorry, start, start going. I'm just I'm working my way. And like these boulders are the size of Volk's, like your automobile, they're, they're like size of cars. Okay, so you can scramble up one, jump over to the next one, scramble across that one, across down to this next one, and then every now and then you get yourself in a stop, you know, a situation where you're like, crap. I can't jump down to that one because then I can't jump. I can't get. Oh, I got to backtrack. I got. I mean, you're, you're trying to figure out. It's like walking a maze across through this thing. I get halfway across. It's massive. I, I don't know how many hundreds of yards across this thing is, and it's steep. So you know, if you go back to your your high school college physics class, and they talk about the angle of repose. <laughs> you know, when you dump, you know, like if you dump out a, a, a pick or a, a dump truck load of gravel, it will, it will form a pile And that pile. The angle of that pile is the maximum angle that that pile can stand at it. It will, it it's, it's right there at the balancing level on how steep the angle of that pile will be. Well, that resting place is that angle of repose. Well, this boulder field was not necessary. Well, it was at a technical angle. <laughs> it was sitting there before you off. were jumping around in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get halfway out across this thing. Again, it's many hundreds of yards across. And I get out in the middle of this thing. Now, at that time, I had my little spot satellite messenger that I could send a message back home if I got in trouble. But these are, these boulders are the size of a room in your house or a vehicle. Okay. Big. Yeah. I'm bouncing across this thing. I start making up time, making up time. All of a sudden, I jump on one boulder and the thing moves. And like 20 to 30 other boulders around it all slid and settled. Like as in, are these things just going to go and cause a rock slide? Like is, is, so I'm like, oh, shoot. So now I'm looking, I'm dead. set. Cent- I'm dead center. It moved and a bunch of stuff moved behind me. So is it safer to go forward to get, do I just keep f- driving forward and go and get through it? <laughs> or am I on the, the, the front edge of the instability? And if I go forward anymore, I'm really going to kick this thing off. So maybe it's better if I turn around and go back. But what if but if I go back is that what is it going to is that going to set this thing off if I turn around and go back because the the a number of boulders behind me kicked loose. Dude, when I say I sat there for I don't know how freaking long. I'm sure. Like <laughs> like what the hell do you do now, bro? Like there is no just sprint and get out of it. It yeah. took you how long to get across to this point. It's going to take you how long to get across to the other side. Okay. So you get to the other side. Now what camps on the other side of it? Like, we're like, what are you going to do then? Go like climb down the other side of the mountain, go down to the road, hopefully hitchhike, come back. Around. I mean, like I, yeah. what? I'm like, <laughs> so I did. I was like, Oh, Oh, it, it, I did. I was like, well, I'm going to turn around because, because, in, keep in mind. Keep in mind. I'd be lying if I didn't say this is possibly a once in a lifetime tag. These yeah. are these are once in a lifetime goats. Screw it, just go. Like it'll be fine. Just go find your goats and and, and get a goat. And then I thought, well, and then what? Get, what? Now I got a pack to go to cross this thing. I'm like, what am I doing, bro? Get, I, get the hell, get the hell off of this mountain. And so I did, I turned around and I started back and sure enough, two or three of the next, next boulders started just settling, Ugh. sliding, shifting. And I just freaking went, I was like, bing, 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 bing. I'm just, just hauling ass trying to get across it. Everything else was stable after that. But you want to talk about pucker factor.
0: Oh, like, I can't okay, imagine. Chris,
1: so where, where did Chris Rowe go? Oh, he's up in that massive rock slide. There is no rescue mission on that one. I'm nope. I'm just I'm just hamburger under about a million tons of rock. No, when you
0: said the, you said the rocks slid when they moved rather than rolled.
1: You know, yeah, so they oh, they shifted. Yeah, you're lucky, but then but they shifted and just and just kind of settled and it just. Yeah no, yeah uh, no, no exactly. So you think about all the stupid things that we do. I yeah, and it doesn't matter if you're up you know doing some you know, Alaska thing or, uh, you know, mountain goat hunt and Mount massive 14,000 feet or whatever. The number of people that I, I mean, how I've done it, climb up a tree to, to put up a tree stand or take down a tree stand or tight, whatever. And you don't have a safety rope and you're like, ah, I'll be fine. And then get a phone call, find out, oh, my uncle fell out of a tree stand slam slammed on his landed flat on his back, knocked himself out. And then the only reason why he got himself out of there is because he woke himself up because he was hypothermic and he was violently shivering so bad. Oh my God. It's like, good good <laughs> job. All right. Yay. Okay. Let's climb into a tree stand. Woo-hoo. <laughs> you know, It's like, good. Oh, what the frickin' heck, man. I mean, just, the, the stupid, and I don't say stupid, but some of, some of them are just innocent. You have no control. Other Others, I'm sorry, we we do some stupid shit out yeah. in the field. And we put ourselves in harm, harm's way sometimes. And you don't even. I don't know, I'll add to it,
0: to- Chris, not even in the field. I do stupid shit where I'm like, well, sh- I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> just, you know, around my house, let alone in the field. And the field just amplifies it from there. I do have oh, yeah. to ask, though. I do have to ask. Did you, did you feel that mountain goat tag?
1: Yeah. He's sitting up above me now, but not with one of the original, not with one of the original goats. And I will say, I, it was not one of my finest moments. I ugly cried, man. I, it was one, I I've ugly cried a couple of times over animals. I ugly cried. And, And this one was, I ugly cried because it didn't work out and I was just devastated. So, Here's here's a little oh, okay. here's a little here's a little dev, here's a little tidbit for all of you would-be goat hunters. If you draw a mountain goat tag, or you go on a mountain goat hunt, you will hear some idiots, and I'm gonna emphasize idiots, tell you that the <laughs> hardest part of about a mountain goat hunt is drawing the tag. Maybe next to getting up to the the landscape that they live at, which is right at the tippy top of the mountain. So I draw this tag. I put in for that. This is a Mount. This was Mount Massive. This was back in 2008, 2007, eight, seven, seven, eight. I don't know. <laughs> um, at this time, the Colorado Division of Wildlife did not want mountain goats in this area because they were going to compete with forage resources and habitat with bighorn sheep. Mountain goats are notoriously dominant on the landscape in an Alpine scenario. They will push mountain goats, or excuse me, mountain goats will push bighorn sheep out of the best areas, and they sure. will uh, dominate the landscape. Mountain goats routinely will have twin uh, lambs where uh, or kids, and where sheep will have um, a single lamb, okay? So- they can out-compete them for the forage resources and they can outbreed them and expand in the landscape. So the agency decided we don't want mountain goats in this particular area because they are fast moving across the landscape and they're going to get into some critical bighorn sheep range. So it was a suppression hunt. So there was a bunch of tags going to be given out and That's it was right. just waylay the, you know, there was waylay the piss out of them. Well, The unit had not, this particular unit had not ever been a hunting unit. It was, it had been unhunted except for the previous year where there was a, a, a kind of an emergency authorization to have a couple hunters in there, but it wasn't a massive hunt. So essentially we were the first real focused group of hunters going in there. And I thought, I'm like, man, there's gotta be some big billies in here. Yeah. Well, part of the funny part of the story was the guy that is my taxidermist. my taxidermist is my friend and he's a world champion taxidermist for sheep goats pronghorn that type of stuff he loves his mule deer he loves his he specializes in sheep goats mule deer and he does pronghorn and other stuff as well but he loves his sheep and goats and I don't know I don't know how many hundreds upon hundreds of, of sheep and goats he's done. I got to know him. I drew a sheep tag in 2004, I believe it was. And he did my sheep then got to become good friends. Well, when I drew my mountain goat tag, I called him up and I'm like, Hey, Greg, I said, I drew a mountain goat tag. I said, you want to do a a mount? You want to do a mount for me? He's like, Oh man, that's awesome. He's like, dude, I drew one too. I'm like, are you (laughs) kidding me? He's like, no, I drew G17. I'm like, that's the view that I drew. And he's like, seriously, (laughs) we didn't even talk about it. He's like, I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I said, what season? Second season. Woohoo! That's my season. I'm like, dude, we got to hunt together. We're like, yes. So Greg, Greg's way too busy. So we worked out a deal. He goes, dude. He goes, if you do all the scouting, you figure out camp. You you do all the logistic stuff. He goes, I'll work. I'll I'll do your your yeah. goat mount. I'm like, done. Seems fair
0: enough. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll trade. So sure enough, I go up there and I start scouting, start scouting, start scouting. And, and I'm purposefully not going to the most popular basin of this particular unit because everybody in their brother's uncle is going to go there. I know from working the elk study back in the day that there are goats that have just wandered off, billies, that just wander off in the middle of nowhere. And they just live out their days and they're, they're ancient. And no one knows about them. Very few people know about them. But I remember hearing, you know, either seeing them having some of the of the researchers on the elk study when they were flying saying oh there was a mountain goat there or we saw a goat there or you know some of the forest service folks saying yeah there's a goat there or other people I've talked to so for the first part of the summer I'm at, in that particular summer um every single weekend from well yeah no 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 sorry sorry I said weekend wrong every single week from i think August 1st so my season was the last week of September the first week of mm-hmm. October okay okay so, every week, for a couple of days, the middle of the week, I was up in the unit scouting. And the first, so the entire month of August, I'm I'm scouring all sorts of out-of-the-way places and I'm not finding anything. I'm like, okay, well, crap. All right. So, then September rolls in. That's one of the seasons I did not elk hunt. One of the few seasons I didn't even buy an elk tag. I'm like, nope, this is a mountain goat. Once in a lifetime, yep. you know, it's all in. So, I did not elk hunt. So I start shifting my focus and I I start moving my focus back towards the main core area. Still in the little out-of-the-way pockets. And sure enough, I'll still, I I will never forget it. Found the first goat. I'm like, oh, holy crap. I find, There's a Billy. He's a lone Billy all by himself. Holy crap. I found one. I found one. I found one. Again, in a random place where no one else is looking. I'm like, sweet. Well, I looked at him and I could tell he was a young Billy. I'm like, all right, well, so I'd rather so- have a, I, yeah, I, it's hundred percent legal, hundred percent legal, but I was looking for an old, bigger, you know, a big, if you look at those big, the older, um uh, billies, they just get, they'll just get this big, massive body, this big old horse head. They just, they're just, they're just awesome looking. And that season, the reason why I chose second season is because you get the better, Coat, you got that big long hair, you know, just really filled out with their their underfur, so they're just this big polar bear on the mountainside, you know. And so I find that Billy. I'm like, all right, well, I can see where he is, and he's half in the trees, half below the the timberline. I'm like, all right, I can see him. I said, but there's another basin around here. I'm gonna go over here, blah 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 blah, set up, start glassing, and bam. What dreams are made of? <laughs> this thing is all by himself in a tucked away little spot and he is a legit giant, like giant, like massive giant body, giant goat. And I just sat there I, and my, I, it was like, I, I you know, in my mind back then I've done it. I, 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 no one is over here scouting.
0: Yeah.
1: The only way you can get here is either the way I came in or you come, there's a, there's a, a hiking trail on the other side of the Ridge. You could a long hike, but you could do it. And at any moment now, cause the first rifle season is coming up and I'm like, no one is in here. I haven't seen any boot tracks on the trail in here. It's a, it's a, it's, it's not a pop. I'm like, I don't think anybody knows he's here. So I'm like, all right, this is, this is everything that I've wanted. This is literally the, the animal that I want. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I spent, you know, two days sitting there watching what he was doing. All right. I got to go back home. Awesome. Found him. All right. Next week comes, I'm going to come back up. I'm like, man, you're sweating bullets. I'm I'm going right back in. (laughs) I'm like, is he going to be there? If he's not there, where's he going to go? I get back up there, get in the glass. Boom. Same spot right there on the, he just same spot. I'm like, yes third week same spot now it's the next season so now there's an actual rifle seat he hasn't moved off the that I mean he's literally in this little tiny basin steep cliffs little grassy slope and he's either bedded in the in the cliffs right there or he's on the on the slope just all by himself all by himself and he is a freaking giant so <laughs> I can't so I go up there the same, you know, it's Wednesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever the week. I go up there. This the hunt has already been going on for like five days or whatever. I get up there and I'm just sweating bullets again. Get up there, still right there, there. Uh. He's right there. I'm like, yes, all right. So each each season is two weeks. Okay, so it's two week. Bl- all right, so I bail. I watch him for two days. Don't see anybody. Oh no, I can't. Well, I don't. Ma- that's that's a lie. I don't remember which week it was. And I don't even, all of a sudden I'm sitting there watching him. All of a sudden I see two people walking across the ridge above him. I'm like, no, there's another, there's another bucket. No. Right? I'm like, no, it was the way the, they were silhouetted against the sunset to where it was too bright. I could see that they were figures, but I couldn't tell. They had backpacks on, but I couldn't tell if they were just hikers or if they were hunters. I couldn't tell. They weren't Mm -hmm. carrying a bow. I could tell that. But I couldn't tell if they had a a rifle, you know, on their back. But regardless, they just walked across. They stood for a little bit and were talking. I'm like, no. Walked across and then they just disappeared. Again, it's Mount Massive. So it's a very, very popular hiking one of 14ers in in Colorado. So I was like, oh, man. Okay. So no, no harm, no foul. Goat's still there. I leave. I come back the next week. Next week, I come in, I'm coming in the last couple days of that rifle season and a couple days before mine starts. So ours starts on that Saturday, I believe, if I remember correctly. Greg was going to come in, I think on that Friday afternoon. I come back in that second, so a couple days before season, I come back in, throw binoculars, he's still there. And he's with another Billy who's also a giant. Now, here's the thing the goat that I originally found, when I say it looked like a polar bear, when Greg got to camp and I showed him the goats, Greg said the same thing that I thought. He goes, That's the biggest Billy I've ever laid eyes on, regardless of whether we're talking Colorado or we're talking about British Columbia. He goes, I've never seen a goat with a body that large. He goes, if, if we get that goat, I'm going to have to do some serious modifications to a form because that goat is me- He goes, I've never seen a billy that big.
0: That's so we, cool.
1: But the horns were smaller than the other billy. Cause the other billy was a legit tank of a billy, like a normal big billy, but he was easily, we both thought he probably could have broken state record easily. He would have been top three in Colorado state record as far as horn score. Okay, mm-hmm. just massive bases. And, and if you know a mountain goat, you you got the the bases of the mountain goat. But then right behind the bases is this kind of this black lumped gland. Okay, so from a distance, if you're if you're not paying attention, the glands kind of or the little lump there, black lumps there, can touch, and it looks like the bases of the horns are touching. Well, it's not. The horns are not touching the the, the lumps are. This one the le- the legit horns at the base were almost uh, like looked like they were touching. He was every bit a ten inch Billy, like pristine, even clean, pre- absolute every inch of ten inch or better. Billy, he was he was a just massive, just mass, hell of a lot of mass, exceptional length, big body, incredible. So here I am looking at this thing for a couple of days before Greg gets into camp. And I'm like, which one do you want, Ro? I'm like, <laughs> do I want to do I want to have the state record mountain goat, a possible state record mountain goat. And I brought my bow and I brought the rifle because I was going to try to get one with the bow if I could and then go with the rifle if I couldn't. Do I want a a, a possible state record billy or do I just want to have the biggest billy I've ever, I'm like, and, and then quite we were going back and forth. We're like, all right, well, honestly though, the giant, the polar bear, I mean, does he have horns that are just about the same size? He, his body just makes it look, they, they just dwarf the horns. I don't know. Yeah. But I, 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 we, I literally got to the point and Greg D goes, man, you found him. He goes, you get first shot. I'm like, cool. And and these things were approachable. They were always, this main Billy was always in the same spot. And the second Billy was just following him now. And it was approachable. It was doable. So Greg gets into camp. We're sitting there and we're looking at these goats up the valley. And I'm, I'm like, this is a dream come true. Like this is everything that I've ever wanted in a mountain goat hunt. This is what I was hoping for. And literally from an elk standpoint, I just, I just got a limited draw unit and I just found two bulls that are over 400 inches (laughs) and no one else knows that they're there. And they're as predictable as the sunrise and they're in the same spot every day and nothing bumps them. I'm like, what the, so we're sitting there in camp watching these billies tomorrow to the day we're sitting there watching is still the rifle season of the last of of the last rifle season. So at any moment, somebody can poke over the hill and go boom, boom. And uh, there they are. So we're sitting on pins and needles, just praying we don't see a soul. Meanwhile, we're just watching, trying to get a game plan because tomorrow morning, maybe it's game. It's us. It's game on. Yeah. So we're sitting there watching him. All of a sudden, out of our right periphery vision, oh, no. halfway, you know, halfway between the us and the Billy, here comes this another Billy, and he's a tank <laughs> of a Billy. He's a he's a well. He ended up being Greg shot him. He's a nine year old Billy, nine and a half inch horns, just this big old horse body, just tank. He's halfway between camp and, and I mean, he's easy. He isn't even close. So he's halfway. He's only a few hundred yards from camp. So now with the spotting scope and my, we can really assess this goat. And we're looking at him and we're like, dude, that's a freaking great goat. And he's not even close to what these other two are. And so Greg's like, he's like, what do you want to do, man? I'm like, I say, we just load up in the morning. We head after these two. I said, if this one gives us a shot, let's evaluate and see. But I said, I, if he's going we to, don't, we don't know, he's a wild card. We don't know where he's going to be. I said, let's just, let's go after the other original two. <coughs> so here we go. Next morning, wake up. So it gets dark. No shots rang out. We're like, yes, we got three billies, two tags, and they're all freaking shooters. All three of them are th- shooters, but there's two that are world-class. Let's go. So here we go. Up the side of the mountain. We start working up, and my goats are just sitting there pretty as you please, laid out, sprawled out on the alpine grass, not a worry in the world. Meanwhile, we we start walking up. Oh, so you look over and the the, the billy from the night before, he just pops out of the trees and he just starts walking right at us. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so literally, okay, so here's where the lesson is. Again, it's it, I can't not be, I can't not share lessons. Everybody told me. Mountain goats don't care. They don't care if a shot rings out in a valley. They just, they, they don't care. If you get too close and bump them, they'll move, they'll, they'll, they'll spook. But you know, they're so used, they're so used to not having predators and they're so used to being able to be safe in the cliffs that they just, they don't care. Especially around these mountains that have a high hiking presence. They get used to seeing people. It's, it's the hardest thing is, is getting the tag and then getting up to them. And I'm like, Greg, if you want if you want this goat, I'm like, dude, freaking take him. We get that goat on the ground. This like, he's like right here, shoot it, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll go after these guys. Greg sets up, boom, shoots, okay, and shot. I don't know if the goat moved. What doesn't matter. But he, but the goat was quartering towards was about a 100, 120, I don't know, hundred fifty yards away. Yeah. Hot shot, quartering two. Well, Greg hit it behind, you know, back behind the shoulder. So basically, hit a hit at liver and and guts. Unfortunately, yeah. And so the goat humps up and starts running. He's running towards us, though. So Greg, I watched it hit. I'm like, all right, hit him back. Well, before I could even say anything, Greg racks another one. Boom! Shoots again. Goes over top of him. Hits the rocks behind him. Now I can see Greg's, you know, he's frantic. I'm like, Greg, whoa, whoa, whoa. I slow him, slow him down, so slow... My you know, guide mode kicks in. I slow yeah. him down. I'm like, Greg, wait, 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 wait. Breathe, 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 wait, 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 wait for him. Stop. Sure enough, Doop, doop, doom. Do. He comes up, steps, steps on top of this rock. I'm like, right at the base of that. Boom! Boom! Done, down, out, stoned him. Dead. We got a goat on the ground. So we're all high five and you know, not yelling. Yeah. We're not yelling, but hindsight 2020. We probably were a little too loud given the fact that we're in a mountain basin and probably everything echoes in there. We were probably a little too loud. So three shots rang out. We we're like, yeah. So we get, get over there, high fives, do some photos, do all that stuff. Just freaking awesome. Just this monster of a billy. Just a great, great animal. So again, it's Greg, Greg's brother and me. So Greg's like, obviously, taxidermist. He knows he's doing. He's like, I don't need your help. I'll break this thing down. Get him. Get him broken down. Get him quartered up. Get him stashed in the snowbank and blah, blah blah blah. And he goes, "You two go after years." I'm like, "Rock and roll, baby. Let's go." <laughs> Scott and I, Scott and I go. the day. <laughs> we go up the hill. Glass. Nothing. Okay. Up the hill. Glass. Nothing. What the hell? Glass. Nothing. I'm like, well, usually they're right there. Get up the hill a little bit more. Glass. Nothing. I'm like, what the hell? Finally, we we like kind of crest the 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 slope and. There's no freaking goat, man. There's not two goats. It's not that there's two goats. There's not one goat. like, what the? I'm looking around, looking around, looking around. I go back to the cliffs where they normally are, and there's no goat, man. I'm like, what the? Like, where the hell are these goats? And all of a sudden, we hear a rock fall. Like, often, if you've ever heard rocks fall off a cliff in the mountains, you hear that, it just echoes. And I look over. And like I said, this thing is a vertical, just almost like a cathedral, just, just this vertical sheer basin. And he used to hang out on the, on the north side of it in these little ledges next to the wide open slope of alpine grasses. Dude, he, he and the other goat are now on the far side of that just massive chute doing Mach 30 Gee. out of... That freaking unit. Because if he goes up that... And that's what he did. Up over the ridge, goes into a different unit. We can't follow him over there. My, the big polar bear of a goat is just... I mean, I'm watching this thing just grab and rock. I mean, he is just going. He <sighs> is getting the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Meanwhile, the other Billy is... He's running to keep up. He stops... He looks, you can, you can literally see the confusion on the the other Billy's face. He's like, what the hell are we running from that? I mean, he's looking around, not seeing anything. And then meanwhile, the polar bear is just freaking. not, he doesn't take a breath. He doesn't stop. He just, he's out. I'm out. I'm gone. And so I just sit there and watch him. Greg's like, or uh, excuse me, Scott's like, can you, he's like, dude, it's, I don't remember what he said. It was like 490, 480, 490 or something like it was the first go mean, it's windy, like hard wind, 490, moving target. And I'm like, I can't make that shot. He's like, all right, it's five. You know, he's slowing down. It's a five and he's like, can you make that shot? I'm like, Scott, I can't, I can't make that shot. I don't, the wind is too high, too far for me to be comfortable right now. And he's moving number one or number one and two and three. I said, but I said, Scott, the issue. Say, I do anchor him. Where the hell is he going to fall? I mean, it's just, it's like a yeah. thousand feet, two thousand. I don't know how far. It's just a sheer, there's no way we're going to recover him. He's like, all right, we'll wait till he gets out to the top and and gets up to the top. He'll say, he'll pause at the top and he's glass and he, he's like, or he ranges like six, 600 and some odds. I'm like, man, he goes, I'll, he goes, I can walk you through the shot. That goat never stopped. Comes out of that chute, hits the the top of the ridge line, and just flat out dead runs up over the hill, out of the unit, down the other side. Bye bye, gone. And so did the other go,
0: gone. Gosh, heartbreaking, two, man. Too much. Two.
1: I mean, I don't know how many. I mean, how many. I mean, I, I was. I was one of those guys that was fortunate to draw a tag. I got my. I got my. So in Colorado, for those that don't know. In order to draw a mountain goat tag or a bighorn sheep tag, you have to build up, not the desert tag, but just the Rocky Mountain bighorn Bighorn sheep or mountain goat. At the time, I think it's the same. You have to get three preference points. You have to put in for three years, get three preference points. Then on the fourth year, you will actually be eligible to draw. In the first three years, you can't draw. You're just building your three points. And then starting year four, you can draw. I drew my bighorn sheep on the first year I was eligible. Wow. Much, much to the chagrin of people that have been putting in for like 20, 30 years and still haven't drawn. So I drew my bighorn sheep. I get that tag. The neck I heard about that. I always wanted like a, U, a, a Ram and a U mount together. And I heard that there was this kind of weird glitch that if you get your bighorn Ram one year, they say once you get a Ram, you cannot if you fill your tag on a Ram or a Billy, you cannot put in for that tag again for another five years, and then you can start to build your preference point and then you're eligible again. Okay. So, but that's if you want another male, like a, a Ram or a Billy, but you can put in for a U or a nanny. They said that there was at the time, there was like this weird glitch where if you get your Ram immediately put in for your U tag, like in the same unit and you'll draw your U. am like, seriously? They're like, yep. Well, so what do I do? So I got my my RAM with the my, with the bow. I did the same thing. I immediately next year I put in for my U tag. Bam, got it. Ended up being like the only person to put in for a U tag for that unit that year, so it was a guaranteed <laughs> draw, which was crazy. But so I get my RAM and my U back to back the first years I'm eligible. Two years later, I draw my goat. I mean, people are like, "What the is So this is a <laughs> gift. This is like this is a freaking gift, man. Not only is it a gift that I got the tag, but I just found my holy grail. I sat on it for two months and all the sleepless nights, all of the just sitting there hoping that no one shoots this thing, a second world-class goat shows up. And within the first 30 minutes of season, I of my season that morning, I blow my animals out of not not out of the basin. Not like, oh, I gotta go find no. They left the unit and were gone. Gosh. And so for the next two weeks, I hunted the next two weeks. Greg stayed for the next couple of days. He had to get his goat back to the house, obviously. He stayed for a couple of days to help me. Scott helped me. They had to go back to work. I stayed up there for the next two weeks trying to find a Billy. Finally found one that was probably another, you know, nine and a half, 10 inch Billy, but he was a timber hound. He just stayed in the timber. Finally, Greg came back up to help me last couple days of the season. Last day of the season, Greg looks up on the mountain. He's like, I found a Billy. I'm like, where? He's like 13, six. I'm at, I'm (laughs) at like 12, six. I'm like, Okay. I said, I'm headed up. I said, guide me in. And I get up there and here's this, my Billy and another Billy. Uh, this one was a little bit, he's just a 4 year I mean, don't get me wrong. I love him to death, but he's just a four-year-old Billy. So he's got that little kid face. He's he's a smaller body. He's eight and a half inch horns, you know? So he's a he's a very respectable, yeah. good representative of a beautiful Billy mountain goat. <laughs> he ain't the polar bear, and he ain't the state record. And I, I will tell you right now that that goat went up and over the hill. I scrambled. I went up around that scree slope. Got I was about thirteen. I think I was about thirteen seven, thirteen eight. When I decided I was going to go skirt around, and then I hit that scree slope, boulder field, and got nervous. Turned around, came back, and then I just had, and and it was that that moment that. I realized, I I'm defeated. Yeah, because I you'll hear people talk about bonking out in the high country where you just bonk out where you just you've you've tapped every ounce of energy that your body has, blood sugar you you have you have no more gas in the gas tank. You're done. Yeah. You, Physically have, you have and emotionally. no emotionally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Physically you're done, but now emotionally I'm done. And I just, I, I ugly cried on the side of the mouth. <laughs> I'm like, what did you just do, Chris? What did you just do? You just, you had everything that you ever wanted right there in the palm of your hand. And what did you do? You got, you got complacent. You, you, you lost focus and you assumed you trusted someone else that gave you information that just didn't make sense anyway. What do you mean? that goats don't care if you shoot in the some don't some goats don't but why in the world would you take the risk of a goat that does care whether or not you rip off three 30-odd six rounds in the basin why that goat was right there he was right next to camp he was smaller than the other two up the mountain those two weren't going anywhere we could have gone after my two. We could have gone up there and knocked both of them down the ground, or I could have gone up and knocked one of them on the ground and we could have come back and Greg could have gotten one night. There's so many other more common sense things we could have done that we should have done that would have worked out better, but we didn't. We just, I don't know mm-hmm. what kind of dumbass. I don't, I don't know. But to this day, I will never forgive myself for that. For just, I was like, what did you just do? Uh, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. I group. think we
0: said it earlier, Chris, the best lessons are self-taught. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I hope, I hope the, the best, the best lessons learned yep. are the ones self-taught. Hopefully the best lessons avoided are those that you learn from others.
0: <laughs> That's what we're aiming for here. That's what we're aiming. This is, this has been fun, man. This is great. You know, Chris, I think I'm going to have you for about the next 20 episodes. Cause I think you have stories to fill that many. <laughs> This oh, is, mean, this has been amazing. a lot of fun.
1: There's, there's enough to pull from, but yeah, no, it was fun, man. I, I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad you, I, I'm glad to see you doing well. I'm glad to see you having fun with it. So yeah, keep it going. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I think we're going to call it for today because, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to probably I longer. Say,
1: I'm, <laughs> you said you, I like to talk. Well, I told you, what do we Yeah, hitting? no, I are knew we, it.
0: <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Uh, but I will say that I, I want to save some for another day. I want to have you back and and hopefully maybe next time we can do like a fireside chat and have a couple dreams together. So rather than being a state away. So um, why don't we tell the people where they can find you? Let's start with that. Or well, everything.
1: That. Ev- yeah. Everything that I do, I try to keep it in the same plane. Uh, so it's all row hunting resources, R O E hunting resources. So. You'll find some stuff on YouTube. You will find uh, my website, just www.rowhuntingresources.com. The point behind the website is educational. Um, If you're just starting out with turkey hunting or you're just starting out with deer hunting, uh, maybe you look at those two modules, but um, there's not a lot of stuff in there and they are more geared towards beginners because there's quite a, to be honest, there's a lot of really good stuff on YouTube and, and other channels that cover deer and uh, turkey stuff. So I have a little bit of that if, if folks want to look at it, but the, the real workhorse, the, the, the uh, flagship of it, if you will, is the elk stuff. Cause that's where the, the heavy elk behavior, elk vocalizations, elk communication, what are they doing? Not from a marketing standpoint and how to get you to run a call. No, I'm talking. What do elk do? How do they communicate? How do they talk to one another? 365 days a year, and how do we basically defeat the testosterone? How do we? How do we not have to worry about not playing to testosterone? How do we engage them? How they engage one another? 365 days a year. So that's that. There's over. I think that this point, um, there's going to be more added here shortly. We've got to have. I know there's over 50, but it's, there's gotta be 55 to pushing 60 hours of video based content in there, all sorts of stuff. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on, I, let me just be honest. I don't spend almost any time on Facebook anymore. I'm over <laughs> on Instagram. So Instagram is where I'm at. Um, YouTube, you can find a bunch of different hunts on there and then the website, row hunting Yeah. Don't forget your podcast. And then, and then, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, dude, yeah. uh, yeah, the Row Hunting Resources podcast. And that yeah. is, it's hosted on SoundCloud, but you can find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as uh, Stitcher.
0: Of course. And then I will also say that uh, you, you said your turkey stuff's a little bit more for beginners. You do also have your seven hour podcast oh, yeah. with yeah, Jay Scott yeah. Outdoors. Again, I mentioned that I had this idea listening to Chris's podcast, I was right in the middle of those seven plus episodes, which is probably like nine hours of content. Uh, I imagine you should probably take it in smaller chunks than I did because I did it straight on a road trip from Texas to Colorado, <laughs> but it's great stuff. So uh, yeah, check check Chris out. Everything he does is gold. Chris, thank you so much, man. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, I actually had like three or four more stories I wanted to ask you about, which we're going to save those for another day, specifically the bull right behind you. I've seen it in a ton of videos. I'm sure other folks have as well. Yeah, that monster. Yeah, I want (laughs) to. I want to know that story. Um, But we'll we'll save it for another day. So thank you, brother. Thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, brother, man. All right, folks, that's it. Thank you again for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Um, I want to thank Chris Rowe for his super entertaining stories. We could have definitely gone a lot longer, and I am absolutely positive we're going to have Chris back on because, one, he's one of my favorite, I don't know what you call it, con- hunting content creators. Um, I, I listen to his podcast. I subscribe to the Rowe Hunting resources. Can't get enough of the guy. It's funny. He'll do a podcast where he'll talk to himself for four hours, and uh, so the guy can obviously talk. So we'll have him back on. He's got a lot more stories to tell. Um, Once again, thank you for tuning in. And again, thank you very much, Chris Rowe, for joining the Hunting Stories podcast. I really do appreciate it. All that being said, guys, share the podcast with your friends. Hit us up if you have some great stories of your own. I have some podcasts coming up with some listeners that did exactly that. Um, So keep those stories coming in. We love hearing from the content creators, but we love hearing from the average Joe do-it-yourself hunters as well. Um, So there we are. That's it, guys. Talk to you again next week. For now, go make some stories of your own. Thank you.